Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. My guest on this episode is the stylist Christine Centenera. Christine cut her teeth at Australian Harper's Bazaar before moving to Australian Vogue, where she became fashion director, a title she still holds today. Her personal style has created an army of fans and led to becoming an Instagram superstar, photographed at fashion events all around the world. A few years ago, she launched the luxury essentials brand Wardrobe NYC with the designer Josh Goote, as well as which she works with Kanye at Yeezy and Virgil Abloh at Louis Vuitton Men's. She spoke to me about all of this and more from her home in Sydney and shared the things that would go into the Christine Centenera Cabinet of Curiosities at 5 Carlos Place. Hi Christine, great to speak to you. So it's very early where you are in, and you're in Sydney right now. I'm in Sydney, yes. I'm just um, seeing how things shake down in the other side of the world. I, I normally live in New York. Um, our studio's in New York, um, and I kind of work between New York and Europe. Um, so I've kind of, instead of doing that transit between New York and Europe, I've been doing it between Sydney and Europe. Um, but now we're in a second wave hitting the Northern Hemisphere. So I'm just kind of come back and seeing how things kind of shake down with COVID. So so you're a stylist and you're the co-creator of Wardrobe NYC and you co-founded it with the designer Josh Goot in 2017. Um, and I think you launched it from a place of personal experience and know-how. It feels like a very personal passion project when when one reads about it. Um, and it has some very specific concepts behind it. Um, I just thought it would be nice to hear from you. Do you want to just describe the story of how the idea for it came about? Yeah, sure. So, as you said, we launched um, in 2017. Um, we're, we're basically, we're, we're a luxury essentials brand. Um, and what we do is we offer complete wardrobes um, in four or eight pieces for men and women. Um, so each of our re- releases are themed. We've had five so far. Um, we started with a tailored release. Then we did sport, street, denim, and so forth. Um, so, so to give you an example of the uh, essentials for tailoring, which is our first release, it was an eight-piece wardrobe. Um, you could buy eight pieces or four pieces, and that included... Um, in what my opinion are kind of those must-haves within that theme. So there was a coat, a blazer, a skirt, a shirt, a t-shirt, a knit, a pair of leggings and a blouse. And so all of these pieces go together to make, you know, endless combinations for different occasions and it's predominantly black. Everything is, um, you know, made in Italy um, with high-quality fabrics. It's unbranded, they're classics um, and hopefully they're pieces that you'll own forever because the designs won't date. Um, so it's the key items I think everyone should have in their wardrobes. Um, and at launch, we sold um, via our own website, um, direct-to-consumer uh, wardrobe NYC, 
And then, when was it? 2019, we partnered exclusively with Matches and allowed customers to purchase individual items for the first time. There was a lot of um, requests for this. Um, and what we're doing now is introducing a permanent collection which sees our um, best-selling and most popular styles from each of our releases reimagined in, in fresh colours and, and classic patterns in tailoring like Prince of Wales and Houndstooth and, you know, our, our best-selling pieces are blazers and, and leggings and our leggings will come in five different colours and um, blazers in, in many different colours and classic patterns, like I said. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, so how does it yeah. feel being a fashion designer these days as, a, as opposed to a, a st- just a stylist? Um, I think, I don't know if I call myself a fashion designer. For me, you know, working as a stylist, I work with brands um, and I have the utmost respect for um, a design team and designers. So I wouldn't call myself a designer, actually. Um, Josh Bush definitely is. Um, and we come together um, because we're talking, for me, it's more from a place of necessity, um, what I personally want. And what I think in my experience as a stylist working with different um, people and genders and sizes, what I think, you know, I kind of, um, you know, decide with Josh what I think those pieces should be and how they should look. And, and he he's more on the design side of things. But yeah, I guess I have a brand. And have you, I mean, obviously there's, I mean, you, you, I forever think, pictures of um the celebrities wearing your the pieces like i've seen kim kardashian who i know is a friend of yours and Hailey bieber and Gigi hadid wearing it have you seen anyone wearing it just have you ever done that thing where you've just walked down the street and seen someone wearing it that you didn't know and just gone oh my god they're wearing my stuff and have they worn in a way that was like surprising or kind of different to how you would have styled it and you thought that's actually quite cool yeah, I think for me, the first time I saw someone wearing it was on an airplane and it's my airplane outfit, you know, a really smart leggings and blazer and T-shirt and kind of sweater and like a pair of Birkenstocks or trainers. That's kind of my go-to airport outfit. Um, and I remember seeing someone wearing it on the plane, exactly styled in their own way. And I thought that was really cool. Like obviously the celebrity side of things, it's always great to see um people and things across the board but I don't know for me when in my everyday life when I you know when I go into the Vogue office and you know someone's bought it or I kind of I'm sitting in a meeting and I think are they ours um because <laughs> weirdly I, you know I'm a stylist but I don't take yeah I, I don't I'm not kind of sizing everyone up all the time I definitely take notice of what kids are wearing on the street and 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 what people are you know just into generally music wearing all of that but I'm not kind of focusing on 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 things but yeah often I've been in meetings and and notice things and and on the airplanes and and just walk down the street in New York for this podcast you know we have a concept where we kind of ask the person on the podcast to describe sort of things they'd put into the cabinet at five colors place um did you think about anything that you'd want to put in there I guess my question is is what's the purpose of the cabinet is it for like people to see is it just for a represent representation of myself or I guess, you know, is it, you know, what's the, what's the purpose of it? <laughs> well, it's an imaginary cabinet, so it kind of can be whatever we want it to be. But I would say it's kind of there to uh, represent you. And maybe it's like if there was something there and it was just some pieces there that represented like Christine Centenera, 
um, what would they mm. be? So I guess the first one I would put in, obviously, would be, I guess, a family photo. Um, I have a big family. I have four sisters and a brother and my parents and, um, you know, extended sisters and, you know, brother and sisters-in-laws and nieces and nephews. But I would probably put my family photo because my family um, oh. is very important to me. I, I live in New York and I don't get to see them so much. So that's a... Uh, are they in, it's also are they nice in feedback. Yeah, they're kind of scattered um, around Australia, but um, but yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting to spend a lot of time with them at the moment, which is nice. So I'd probably put that in there as a first item. Speaking of, well, thinking of your family and then your childhood, what sparked your interest in fashion? I don't really know. I can't really define it. I've always loved beautiful things and how they make you feel and how you can express yourself through fashion. Um, I don't know, I, I maybe I thought that somehow I felt working in fashion was a way to find my own voice. I never really um, sought out to work in fashion, um, but I guess looking back on reflection, um, maybe it was all part of self-discovery because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, um, and maybe I knew there was a personal journey that was tied into working into fashion, I'm not sure. but. Um, after school, I studied, you know, anthropology and art history and theory. And um, I grew up in Adelaide, so I went to Adelaide University okay. and studied, um, yeah, anthropology, a Bachelor of Arts, basically. Um, and then I had to, and then I moved to Sydney and had to get a real job. And I got a job as in the marketing department of Harper's Bazaar. Um, and through a friend who was working. Um, for the company at the time and I was doing that for a couple of years and um, the editor at the time, uh, Alison Benes, she's British, um, asked if I wanted to move over to her fashion team and I used to look at all the fashion girls and uh, no judgment but I think they'd swan in and swan out and I didn't really think that, I don't know, they had a serious job but she said, she said trust me, move over to the fashion team and I, I think um, you would be great in that space and you know, in my, like, judgmental 22-year-old mind, I was thinking she was offering me a job because she thought that I dressed well and that was problematic in itself. So, anyhow, <laughs> I listened and I, I, I went over and um, and I, I, I started in kind of a market role um, and I realised there was more to um, fashion than just um, putting pretty dresses on models. And, yeah, I guess from there I became, yeah, market editor and fashion editor and then I moved over to Vogue where I've been now for almost 10 years and um, I'm I'm still the fashion director of Australian Vogue so yeah I think it was just something that I kind of like slowly moved into versus knowing from a young age that I was you know loved fashion and, and wanted to work in fashion yeah were you are you a magazine junkie did you like were you reading Vogue and Harper's as a kid or yeah. a teenager? Or were there like other teen mags that were in Australia then? There's some teen mags called Dolly and Girlfriend. None, none of these exist oh, anymore. I love that. Um, yeah, but I, I loved those magazines. On Dolly, in, actually, it was like Miranda Kerr and Jessica Hart and those girls. Harper's Bazaar and Vogue in those days, it was kind of like. I think it was the transitioning from models into actresses. So it was, you still had your yeah. Giselles, but it was, you know, Jennifer Aniston, I felt, was on every single cover, you know, every second right. month. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was that time when kind of actresses started selling um, versus models. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and because you've worked in it um, and you've you've worked in the Australian fashion industry for a while now, and obviously you've seen it from the other side from all the work you do in um, in the US and in Europe. What do you think sets the Australian fashion industry apart? I mean, obviously, probably in the past, there would have been some sort of snobbism towards the Australian fashion industry in the way there is to anything that's outside of Europe or outside yeah, of Paris look, even. But I think that um, there's a unique point of view that's anchored in an Australian way of life. Um, and I think that way of life is um, it's less encumbered, it's more free, and it's younger than the Northern Hemisphere. Um, so I guess what you're talking about, uh, it plays into that because we're a young nation. Um, but I do think that we're an industry with a lot of promise. Um, I think there's an ease that comes through in a lot of Australians' best fashion brands. And I think that's what um, sets us apart from, from, yeah, brands in the Northern Hemisphere, Americans, Europe, Europeans. Mm. Where do you like to shop in Sydney to feel inspired? I don't really shop much in Sydney, actually. Um, and normally when I come home, um, I guess in like regular life, I all I want to do is see my family and friends. It's not about shopping, really. Um, and so, you know, I know that there are some great boutiques. Um, I've, I have friends with some great stores like Parlor X and, um, you know, the designer stores here um, are great, I, you know, are great because they often stock different pieces to to what are stopped internationally um but yeah I, I don't do a huge amount of shopping because yeah I like to spend time with my family when I'm back um but there are some great stores and yeah. um yeah like I said like Parlor X and the individual boutiques of um of brands like Dean Lee and Zimmerman and uh local brands like that who have their flagships here I think they've done a really nice job what else are you going to put in the Christine Centenera cabinet? Oh, um, probably like speaking of Australian fashion. Um, although he's he's stopped doing doing jewellery and he's he's studying marine biology. But every day I wear the same earrings, which uh, from Jordan Askell. Um, I think he won a British Fashion Award for for jewellery design. Yeah. Um, do Do you remember Jordan? Um, anyway, he's a very dear I friend do, of mine. I do. Um, and he was living in New York when I moved to New York. Um, he's just moved back to Australia, like I said, to study marine biology. So he has these leaf earrings that I think every six months I kind of have him make me a new pair because I've lost them. Um, I now order kind of in bulk. But, yeah, I, I literally wear them every day. I have kind of three holes and they travel up my ear. Um, what do they look like? What, is it, is um, it like matching? It's a gold it? leaf. Uh, no, it's kind of like ooh, three gold leaves kind of attached to each other with like a, a little diamond. Um, and then I kind of put separate leaves separate to that um, in, in separate holes. Uh, I wear them literally every day. Um, I think it's a nice representation of friendship and industry and community. The Australian fashion industry is very tight, um, and many of which actually live in New York and Paris, who are my friends anyway, so I think it's always nice to... Yeah. Support on that level where you can. Yeah. Speaking of things that you wear and like, and we've been talking a bit about shopping, um, are you, what's your approach? Are you a hoarder or a minimalist? Oh, um, I think I'm, I think I'm both. 
I think hoarder has a negative con- connotation. I just don't like to throw it does. away nice That's things. That's the wrong word. <laughs> right? But I Maxima- think a I maximalist. Are you a maximalist or a minimalist? De- Maybe that's better. <laughs> well, I definitely hold on to... I don't like to... I definitely hold on to things that are that are great. And I and so I do have a, a, a lot of stuff, which puts me into the hoarder category. But I guess um, I'm a minimalist, <laughs> I think, in how I, I live in terms of... Um, my apartment and how I, how I dress and this wardrobe concept and how I travel. You know, I'm a kind of hand carry only for up to kind of 10 days kind of person. So I'm minimalist in one sense. Well, that's I impressive. Kind of find it find it difficult to part with um, part with things. So therefore, I have a lot of stuff, and therefore, I'm probably a hoarder also. So do you have one wardrobe? Do you have like your New York wardrobe and then your um, Sydney wardrobe? No. In fact, I have um, the best thing about having wardrobe in my C, my brand, is that I have um, a kind of a set in Sydney. I have a set in Paris at the apartment that I stay in when I work there. And I have it in New York. And I, I, that's why I'm able, often, even when I don't travel to those places, actually, I, I do take carry-on mostly. Um, but... Yeah, I guess I have all these things in different places and I'm able to just, um, I wear the same things, but just in a different way for different, um, I don't know, uh, temperatures really. Um, Because my life in Sydney, even though it's in Sydney and it's laid back and it's very outdoors, I I go to the Vogue office every day. And so, you know, I I dress for that. And when I'm in New York, same, go to the office. And um, I don't know, I, I kind of wear... You know, it's it's funny. Even though, even though, like I say, I have this, um, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of clothes. I I often wear the same things, which is kind of why the why how the brand was born actually because I had this huge wardrobe, um, yet I was relying on those same key pieces every day to, um, right. no, no matter what I was doing, whether I was getting on a plane, whether I was styling a shoot, whether I was going into the office, I would just, you know, change around the shoes and accessories. Um, but all those pieces could work for different occasions. So um, that was kind of how, how, how the brand was born. And it's really a reflection of how I live um, yeah. and yeah. what Is I it, wear myself. Do you get, right. And do you get, cause I mean, you must, I mean, I imagine that people must ask you all the time to um, like, you know, help them like give your opinion on what they what they're wearing or help them find an outfit for a wedding or something and I was just remembering something I remember when Kate Moss launched her line for Topshop and she said something like oh um you know people have been copying my style for years so I just thought that I would like share it with everyone and produce a line of things that I would like to wear is there an element of that as well in what in your definitely definitely to some degree yeah I guess the first part of the question of when you know often people are you know, I have, I have a lot of aunties and they're always like, what's in this season? What colour should I be wearing? That's my like, <laughs> least favourite question. Um, but, yeah, I guess I, I do get asked a lot. Um, and I always say you go back to um, it's about proportion and, you know, yeah, what Kate Moss can wear versus what other people, you know, um, you know, someone else might be able to wear is very different. Um, but I guess that's the thing I always say, you just need to look at someone's body and work out the proportion and what works for them. Um, but yeah, I guess this came from a place of, look, I think if you start any brand with the idea that there's 
you know, this huge gap in the market and that it doesn't exist, then, then we would have no new brands. You know, I think everything exists to some point. I think our idea of um, selling it as wardrobes, as pieces that work together, that is new as far as I know, or was new at the time as far as I know. Um, but as far as the pieces went, I was always looking for uh, seasonless. And when I say that, I mean um, pieces that weren't branded or weren't definitive to a season that were really well made. And that often mean, meant they were designer. So I didn't want logos or anything like that because I would want to wear them constantly, season after season, and I didn't want to feel like I was wearing something from five seasons ago because often some of the pieces that I have are, you know, from five seasons ago. Um, and I just wanted them to be, and I don't like shiny things, so I always wanted the fabric to be like matte and kind of sturdy and... Um, like I said, non-branded and just cut really well. It's really about the cut for me. And so when I would find these pieces, I would often buy two and I would number them and one would be for kind of every day, kind of really kind of on the plane and when I'm like getting on my hands and knees and then the other would be for, you know, if I had to, I don't know, have an important meeting or something like that. Um, and I did find these pieces hard to come by. So um, they did exist, but... Um, Often they were in the thousands of pounds kind of zone. Um, but, yeah, I guess to answer your question, it did come from a place of me wanting to create things and clothing that I myself wanted. And also I, I did think that, um, you know, I always, have, as a stylist, when I'm working on, on shoots, um, I often work like funnily enough I often don't get to I, I don't work with models often I work with actresses and real people which I love um and I always try to be experimental and push people's you know ideas of fashion forward especially when I'm shooting for the magazine or or, or anything really and you know that process I love but sometimes it just doesn't work and I always have you know four or five pieces that I know that as an absolute fallback this is going to look great. It's going to make them feel great, more importantly. And um, I can always kind of refer to them. And often that's kind of tailoring because, it, you, you know, often I find that when you put tailoring on a woman, it kind of frames them in a great way and they feel strong and powerful. Um, and so I often had these pieces that um, I would have to the side that I could just kind of call on if I was in a bit of a bind and things weren't working out and I know I could put it on and they would feel great and they would shoot great and they would look great. So, yeah, I guess it's a combination of all of those things, which is what wardrobe is to me. Who's the la who's the most recent person you've styled for um, Australian Vogue? You do so many amazing um, um, covers. Oh, thanks. Well, I actually photographed um, a cover uh, with a dot. I've never... I've never I've taken photos because I, I love the art of photography and um, we were both back in Sydney for, uh, you know, we both kind of came back when COVID um, really hit in and um, yeah, I was meant to shoot. I was on to, I think, my sixth Zoom shoot, um, which are very complicated. And the photographer who I was working with, I was styling with a dot in, in Sydney and the photographer was in New York um, but he had to pull out at the very last minute, literally three days before. So I was faced with um, shooting with a photographer I'd not worked with or didn't know um, in three days or just picking up my camera, which I'd brought from New York and taking the pictures myself. And thankfully, Adult was very trusting and her agent was 
very trusting and it wasn't meant to be a cover actually. Um, we were just doing a fashion story, a main fashion story for the magazine. And um, I think I landed in London a few weeks later um, and the cover hadn't worked out. My editor called and said, we're going to print tomorrow and, we, and I would like to run one of your images. So what do you think of these options? And I remember being in a, in a black cab in, in London trying to desperately download <laughs> what they had mocked up as a cover. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's, she's the last person that I worked with and photographed and, and um, it was, it's great actually, because often when I, you know, I said I don't work with models, but when you do, they're often on this crazy schedule of, you know, I think the last time I'd worked with a dot, we had both flown in from New York. Cause she's Chicago. like the biggest, she's sort of the biggest model right now. So she must be so yeah. in demand. Yeah. And the, and the last time I had worked with her, we had both flown in from New York to Chicago and Virgil was shooting a, a cover for um, the New York Times, a tea magazine, and it was freezing cold. It was like the depths of winter, and we were shooting outdoor in often, you know, in often she was in shorts and, and not um, heavy clothing all the time. And um, it was kind of a group of a group of people, and um, it was kind of it was brutal. It was cold. And that was the last time I'd worked with her and she was just kind of on the end of, I think, you know, no, no days off and um, shows had just finished. And so I guess shooting her in Australia after having not worked for a few months and versus that, it was a, it was a breath of fresh air. I mean, she's heaven anyway, but it was really lovely to kind of work with a, a team of people who were just really thankful to be there. I, you know, there's nothing I hate more than when I get on a, a shoot and... The first question is, is how many pictures is it and how many have we got left? And, you know, I really love working as a stylist with talent who really are grateful to be part of something. Um, so it was lovely. Do you think actually. that the photography is something you might do more of? Um, look, I think, I think as with designers, I have a, such a huge respect and I was actually really nervous about the covers coming out because the cover coming out because I, I work with some of my favourite photographers, you know, Inez Minoud and Mario Sorrenti and Lachlan Bailey and Josh Rollins, and I was really nervous, actually, about the story coming out, about what they would think. Um, and, you know, the first person who reached out to me was Inez, just saying congratulations, and Emma Somerton, um, you know, I actually saw her that night, at, um, uh, the night I think that it came out in London, and, you know, there was none of that, kind of, you know, I guess there's just room for everyone. Um, and that was kind of their way of thinking. So I guess all my reasons for being nervous and um, about, about them thinking, what is she trying to do now, um, kind of fell away. But <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's a, I, um, will I do more of it? Yeah, I'll do a little bit more, but I, I, I think I just like to do lots of different things. I love kind of designing even though I didn't so I love working on a brand I love kind of my styling work I love consulting work I, I like I love taking pictures so I think I think I'll continue to keep doing all of those things for as long as I can in unison versus focusing really on just one thing because I do think that they all inform each other I think my work as a stylist absolutely informs what I do as in my design work yeah. for wardrobe and absolutely inform and, you know, my consulting work with brands in, informs what I do as a stylist because I get to go in and work with these brands and they have, you know, young 
um, creative teams and they're, like I said, I, I take notice of what they're wearing and what they're listening to and how they're speaking and, and, and often that informs what I, my ideas and concept, concepts as, you know, a photo shoot or a stylist. So everything kind of works nicely together and I'll keep doing that for as long as I can, like I said. Right, what's else, what's, what else is going into your cabinet? Oh, okay. Um, I've started... I have a new pastime. I am. Um, I've started doing ceramics. Um, I've always kind of been into. Um, yeah, I, I guess I've done some pottery classes in Venice and Paris um, on the wheel. And um, when we went into lockdown, we just bought a kiln, as you do, and a pottery wheel. And I just started <laughs> making things. And I kind of moved away from the wheel because everything was so kind of perfect and. Um, you know, smooth, and I really loved the kind of hand-building element to it. So I've really gotten into that um, hand-building ceramic. So probably um, one of my pieces, I guess. It actually saved me in quarantine as well because I I had um, a banding wheel and some clay or some porcelain dropped off, actually, and I just made some huge kind of vessels and objects um, because it's a very slow process, wow. especially with porcelain, actually. Um, so probably one of those things to represent, I guess, a new yeah. pastime. It was always my yeah. retirement plan, but when I was faced with months of literally not know, really knowing what to do, I, I kind of really got into it, and all I wanted to do was kind of clear my days so I, I could just sit there and, and make things. So probably something in that. So it's, all, it's very kind of, it's hand-built, and they're, they're kind of either vases or kind of like urns, and they kind of have imprints of your, yeah. my fingers and... Yeah, and I kind of I love them to be white and chalky, so that's kind of the vibe. So probably one of those. That sounds cool. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, disruption in the fashion industry because um, obviously mm -hmm. what you're doing with wardrobe NYC is very forward thinking and a kind of whole new way of looking at the way to consume fashion and clothing. Um, yeah. You worked with Kanye on his Yeezy label and you worked with Virgil Abloh um, at Louis Vuitton Men's um, and they're seen as these sort of industry disruptors. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think I've read something you said in the past about how you really feel like fashion should always be looking forward or moving forward and I just was interested to hear your thoughts yeah. on that whole aspect. Yeah, look, I think, I think in my own work, I think... Um, like I think I've made clear, I think it's important for it to come from an like honest and, and real place. I know that sounds a bit cheesy, but I guess wardrobe came from a real place that reflected how we felt about fashion and how, how we, my, when Josh and I dressed. Um, it, it wasn't really about being disruptive, but doing something that made sense. And I think the same thing applies to Virgil and Kanye. You know, people are just trying to do their thing, and I think it's great that we live in a world where the public are down to accept that. Um, I don't know, I think these days it's not just about selling clothes. You need to, you need to build a community and, and make people feel part of something, and, and then they'll buy your stuff. Um, I think they want to be part of something that represents something that they believe. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think, I think 
and I guess that's what you guys. I mean, you as as well with your with your sort of community you've built through your, the magazine Vogue and also through your Instagram account and other fashion label, but also and Kanye yeah. and Virgil are both so good at fostering a community on social media platforms. Yeah, and exactly, and I think, like you said, I think you know it's about moving forward, um, and always changing and and more more evolving than changing. I think. Um, I think you should propel the conversation forward always. Um, and, you know, I think fashion is at its best when it mirrors society's values. And I think fashion is a symbol of progress and that's what everyone is doing themselves and that reflects in their work. Um, I have to, sorry, not to bring not to bring the tone down, but I was just thinking about, I, I remember I saw this photo once, I think it was on your Instagram or something and it was, of you um, when you must have been styling the Yeezy show and you were like on your knees like mending the hem of someone's outfit or something and like Anna Wintour and Kanye were sitting nearby and you just put you just captioned it like no pressure which I thought was really funny because it's like sort of Aussie humour which I really liked and quite dry but I thought that (laughs) how do you like cope with that when you've got two like really powerful industry figures like literally kind of breathing down your neck kind of you know what I didn't even no, that was Virgil's photo, actually, and I didn't even... I mean, shows are so stressful. Um, I think out of everything I do, the, the show moment just before is probably the most... You kind of, like, exist on another kind of body almost because, especially with Yeezy, we kind of work days and nights and uh, on many shows too, actually, but unless less so Louis Vuitton, we kind of pretty well organised. It's a well-oiled machine, but with Yeezy, we work often very late and don't get much sleep so come that moment which is pre-show the fact that Anna Winter was there was not really something that um I was focusing on I was you know (laughs) more worried about shoelaces being tied up I think at that point um but yeah I guess I think I think adrenaline kicks in for sure um if I thought about it too much yeah you would completely freak out but I think adrenaline kicks in and you just have to you kind of I surprise myself often of what I can do in in times of you know crisis even though it seems so dramatic because it is just a fashion show but um yeah I think you just I think as well I guess I I do believe that training and experience really helps you in 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 those moments um but yeah that picture I I saw after and I reposted it because um yeah I didn't really I didn't really think about Anna being there, I think. I, I think I was just more worried about the <laughs> show being perfect um, than what was happening in the room at that exact time. But yeah, I thought that was kind of funny too. What I wrote. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was our first show for Yeezy, actually. So, I was just like, "What's your favorite memory from a fashion show?" Um, I think probably the first Louis Vuitton show was um, a real moment for me. Um, because we had put in so much hard work and it was, you know, it was pretty, what what we tried to do was fairly ambitious in terms of casting and, um, you know, I guess the scale of the show. Um, and I guess that moment after was very emotional and, and I'll never forget it. That was, that was really special. Um. Did you work, how did, was the concept something you'd worked on together beforehand or was it more like Virgil saying to you, do, we want to do this and go ahead and make it happen? 
Uh, well, how it works is Virgil sets the ideas always um, at the beginning of the season. Um, and then I work with the design team. I'm kind of there every month um, between three and five days um, in the lead up to the show. Um, so I kind of am tracking the progress and working with the team um, closely on the um, designs. So he he definitely, I mean, it changes a little bit each season, but um, generally he kind of, it's his idea and it's his brief and then kind of everyone and, you know, goes out and works together to uh, make it happen with him. You know, he's overseeing everything all the time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm there working closely with the team. He's got a brilliant team actually. Um, and then I guess shows that I've been to, I remember, was that the Marc Jacobs show where they made everyone wait for two hours in New York? I remember that being one of my, my very first New York Fashion Week experiences actually. Um, and then I guess Marc Jacobs for Louis Vuitton, there was a show where there was a real life steam train that came in and there were kind of Kate Moss coming out of elevators and it was like early on a Sunday morning, it was kind of crazy. Um, and then I guess on the flip side of that, probably a Hyder Ackerman show where there's no music and it's silent and there's kind of girls walking slowly and it's really just about beautiful fashion like perfectly styled and they're like sculptures and I don't know the energy in the room is quite I don't know it's it's quite special actually I, I love Haida um we were in the, the Venice Film Festival together he was there with Timothy and my partner was um they were in the same film and he was kind of oh right my, when my, Timothy my broke the internet Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, probably also Carl Lagerfeld Chanel shows when they, one I remember is when they flew in some real-life icebergs to the Grand Palais. Oh. It was pretty, it was pretty cold. Oh, yeah. It was pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> the industry has changed so much in the small time, but definitely I think his, um, his shows and energy and, and what he brought to the industry um, is, like, deeply missed for sure. I actually, just as an aside, I interviewed Pat Cleveland for this podcast and she was talking about when she first moved to Paris in the 70s and she was sleeping on Karl Lagerfeld's floor of his apartment um, and hanging out with, uh, yeah, I mean, just incredible stories and just like when he was still sort of, when he wasn't quite so remote and sort of... Um, hey, I think everyone's got some kind of crazy interesting Karl Lagerfeld stories. I spent time with him actually in yeah. Shanghai when he showed... A collection there many years ago and I had to do a shoot, photo shoot in China which was not the easiest thing to do it was actually probably the most difficult thing I've ever had to do um <laughs> and he was hilarious he was with a group of us and he's just got this kind of brilliant mind um speaking between French and German and English and million miles an hour and it was quite infectious to be around someone like him wow yeah I mean so he really lives up to the the, um, oh, yeah. the legend then. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we're going to start closing your cabinet soon and coming to the end of oh, this yeah. um, chat. But just thinking about that, just you describing the shows and Carl Lagerfeld and the shoots um, and bearing in mind how this has been such a momentous year and things have changed so much. Do you think things have changed for the better, thinking about all the kind of political stuff that's been happening in fashion and or is or are you just keen for things to go back to how they were so that we can all just get back back on no, back onto God the fashion no. train? God no, I, I hope that um you know, I hope that there's an uncontested movement toward conscious, responsible consumption. 
I mean, who everyone must have these same feelings. Um, I think there needs to be a continued awakening about what's important and how do we want to live and how do we want to shape our world. I think that, um, I don't think it's about going back to how we existed before, no. Okay, and is there anything else you want to put into your cabinet before we... Oh, yeah, I don't know, probably, I know it sounds like, uh, probably meditation timer. Um, for me, I kind of, I kind of try to do it most, transcendental meditation most mornings. And again, it probably sounds super cheesy, but for me, it really helps formulate my thoughts and get, get me together, if that makes sense. So probably a meditation timer that I was given as a gift from a photographer. Um, How long can you meditate for? Uh, 20 minutes, I do it. Um, we meant to do it twice a day, but I often don't do the second one. I definitely do the morning one. It's also been easier to do it um, the last six months because um, I guess I've had a slower way of living and um, I haven't had to kind of literally wake up in a hotel and race somewhere. Um, but even when I did yeah. that, I, I really, really woke up and, and did it because for me, it really, when I don't do it for an extended period of time, um, I really, I really feel different. So I would probably say a meditation timer. Have you done your meditation yet today? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually. <laughs> and that's why yeah. I haven't had a coffee because I can't do meditation yeah. and have a coffee because it, my, oh, my mind see. just goes too far so I was thinking when I when I did suggest this time I thought I'm either gonna have to wake up at 5 30 and do it and then have a coffee or like do this interview like <laughs> uncaffeinated which is I'm doing it uncaffeinated so I'll, I'll do it that's after this. very impressive listen thank you so much for talking to me this evening and oh thank this you morning for you um I really appreciate you taking the time and I hope you have a nice day in thank you in, it was in, lovely in your, to, to speak with you That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening. <laughs>